You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Anthony Maluski is chairman of Nickel 28, a battery metals-focused investment company with a focus on metal streaming and royalty agreements. In 2016, the Mining Journal named Anthony as a future mining leader, and in 2017, he was invited to join the London Metals Exchange Cobalt Committee. He was also named one of the most influential under 40 in mining. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you for joining us today. Your career has spanned several countries and a similar variety of activities. Can you start us off with a bit of background? What got you started and brought you to Nickel 28? Well, I guess it depends on how far back you uh, you want to go. But, you know, when I was uh, in graduate school, I was really interested in the former Soviet Union and, uh, and interested to work in, you know, Russia and um, Mongolia and Poland, all these kind of countries that were in that sphere. And so awesome. out of graduate school, I took a job in London uh, where I covered Russia. And then I immediately was transferred into the uh, Moscow office. And, and, you know, that work was really around natural resources. And so at the very beginning of my career from day one, I became fascinated in commodities. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, if you look around the room you're sitting in, almost everything you see is either mined or grown. You mm-hmm. got to kind of digest that for a second. And so you know, that, that real world impact became interesting to me. And so that kind of kicked off my career uh, and my interest in, in commodities and all sorts of commodities. I mean, ranging from cocoa trading all the way up to nickel and, and today these sustainable commodities. Fantastic. Real, you know, almost a, a progression of a career that you kind of fell into, shall we call it. So that, that's really, really interesting. So can you tell us about Nickel 28's business? What are you up to? So Nickel 28 is one of several businesses that I'm involved in. And, uh, you know, the mission of Nickel 28 is really to to supply MHP, we're the largest producer of MHP in the world, which is a nickel uh, mixed hydroxide to the battery industry. I mean, we oh. we sell nickel concentrate to battery companies effectively. And, um, you know, we're, as I said, one of the largest producers of MHP. Uh, not only that, but we believe in sustainability and, you know, ESG principles. And so we're doing the best that we can do in, in the mining industry, after all, to kind of um, offset our carbon footprint. You know, we are carbon neutral, at least our portion of the joint venture is carbon neutral. And so we're trying to be realistic about the fact that we're in the mining industry, but at the same time, do our part um, to to supply the electric vehicle battery storage industries and, and, and hopefully, you know, be carbon neutral while we're doing it. Awesome. That is that is actually very interesting. So focusing on the mining side of that, are you mining both nickel and cobalt, which are the battery uh, metals? And what's the financial and investment model behind those kinds of minerals? Yeah, so we are mining um we are mining nickel and cobalt and you know, that ratio is kind of 10 to 1, 10 part nickel for every one part cobalt because it's 
it's an ore body, an ore body that has, you know, nickel and cobalt in it. Uh, and so what are the economics? I mean, for us, they're pretty spectacular awesome. um, considering the price of nickel, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. but um, if you talk more globally, of course, um, it's a challenging because, you know, each project has its own specifics uh, around what it costs to, to mine and, and smelt or, or process or whatever the raw material is. But notwithstanding that, I think um, are you know on the cost curve, we're kind of in that first quartile of the cost curve, and you know we've been economic even through the down part of the cycle a few years ago, and and obviously the company's making a lot of money now. Fantastic! That that's pretty exciting. So, what areas are you active in? Well, I mean, personally, I think you know, in addition to nickel, which is a pretty straightforward story, and nickel twenty eight is kind of a story that's. Um, you know, reached a point now where, you know, it's free cash flow positive. In addition to that, you know, there's a share buyback and now. So that 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 kind of moves nice. forward. And, and in large part, the profitability of that company is determined by the price of nickel. I mean, you know, a lot you can do the mine is built. But I think one of the other things, you know, in the last few years that um, that we've been involved with and in investing in is, is carbon trading and carbon credits. So, uh, you know, invested in, and bought and sold a lot of regulated credits, which are exchange traded and, and honestly act a lot of like any exchange traded commodity, but also looked at and, and become pretty interested in voluntary markets and the voluntary carbon markets. You know, that's the market where you read that Delta Airlines is going to be carbon neutral by 20, 2030. I'm just making it up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're volunteering to become carbon neutral. And so they are buying voluntary credits. And that market is so fascinating because it is, by and large, a market supplied by nature-based solutions. In other words, reforestation, um, staving off logging projects. And so it's such a fascinating industry because you can uh, save the earth, you can save forests, you can reforest projects and make money at the same time. And so I'm really deeply interested in that. And you know, as we were talking before we started, you know, as I sit here in, in the Northwest today, looking at these beautiful forests, and if you think you can save those forests and make money at the same time by writing carbon credits, that's really interesting. That absolutely is fascinating. So you're obviously active in both both ends of the spectrum. As you say, it's in the mining industry, but you're very much on the environmental side as well. So who is buying the carbon credits then? Are there particular companies and, and industries looking at them? Yeah, I mean, I would say almost every industry, major industry in the world is now um, either buying voluntary credits or has made announcements that will require them to, to buy voluntary credits. You know, you know there, are, there are, of course, analysts out there that think that the carbon market will be larger than the, the hydrocarbon market. Now, if you kind of think about that for a second, how large the oil market is. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's no, there's no way to, to reduce our carbon footprint, you know, but, but for um, a variety of things, including stopping deforestation, reforesting, and also technological carbon capture projects, which are still early and in their infancy uh, in terms of what they cost to produce uh, or to capture a metric ton of carbon. But um if, if we have decided as a society globally that Earth is a place where we want to continue to live, then we got to do something. And, um, you know, I think that 
historically NGOs have done a lot of really great and continue to do a lot of really great work, but you know, uh, capitalism being what it is and people being who they are, if we can find a way to extend that work by somehow helping to monetize or capture value and save the environment at the same time, my hope is that you know, we can um, s- speed the adoption of these things and, and maybe make a bigger impact. Absolutely. So obviously investors can invest in nickel and cobalt through through the various companies and the minerals. But is it possible for investors to think about investing in the carbon market? Yeah, so it's interesting you should ask. So a friend of mine, a former partner, he, uh, Justin Cochran, he, he is running Carbon Streaming Corp, uh, mm. which I've invested in just, you know, my own money. And um, he, he runs it and it's public on the NEO. Net Z is the ticker. And that, that's what they're doing. I mean, they've raised a few hundred million dollars. And, you know, they have a project called Rimbaraya, which is, you should actually check it out. It's amazing. There, It's this big orangutan sanctuary in Indonesia. Ooh, and they awesome. have a handful of other projects they're working on. And their business model, what, you know, Justin's background is streaming and royalties. He was... Oh. One of the first um, employees at Sandstorm, and before that, he was a banker in the space. And uh, what he's done is he's taking that streaming and royalty model and applying it to carbon. So, you know, prepaying for carbon credits off of forests, and and in return, those forests are saved, you know, sort of execution, as it were. And so it's amazing. And it's amazing because they're out there protecting the environment and, you know, going to make money for their shareholders. So I think it's really interesting. And, um, yeah, I've I've invested pretty significant amount of money for myself into that into their idea and their project. That's a fantastic opportunity of almost a marriage of of capitalism and or entrepreneurism as well as environmental. So that that's almost an exciting future for us as a as a planet to save ourselves, but at the same time, allow people's natural instinct, which is to make money, to, to, to try and benefit themselves in the process. Uh, almost social enterprise kind of feel to that. Yeah, no, exactly. So look, I, we have to do something. And, um, you know, I, I, my hope is on the back of what Justin's doing, you know, maybe other people will come up with other ideas that are similar in nature and, you know, maybe, um, you know, as we were talking about, you know, somehow have a, a profitable model that's not relying solely on donations. I think the NGO what? model, which has done such great globally, I think one of the failings is it's not sustainable if people aren't continuing to give you money, at least a lot of the ones I looked at. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully what we have here is a model that is sustainable because there's shareholder returns and there's a dividend and there's cash flow and, there, you know, there's all these things which um, are the trappings of of Apple and these big public companies, but but you're actually doing environmental good. And you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but certainly we got to start thinking about some of the answers if if we want our kids and grandkids and great grandkids to continue to live on an earth that's as wonderful and as beautiful as it is. Yeah, absolutely. We we certainly can't carry on the way we have historically done, which in many cases was driven by capitalism, people just making money. And, and maybe they weren't aware of the consequences longer term or they just didn't apply their minds. But yeah, I was looking at this project in British Columbia. And I mean, it's, I think, roughly 10,000 acres of old growth forest. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, I look. This is in 1910. 
I just cannot personally comprehend how someone could cut down a 2000 year old tree. Now it's one thing if it's falling mm-hmm. onto a house, but we're talking about a forest and just, yeah. um, I just, I don't know how that's even legal. I don't think it should be. Um, we're not talking about trees that got planted 40 years ago to harvest. We're talking about some of the last stands of old growth forests, which are endangered. And so, Absolutely. you know, if there's a way to write a carbon credit off that because of it's endangered, I think, I think that's great. So yeah, uh, my, it's a my good focus, process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So my, you know, I, a lot of my time today I spent thinking about these environmental commodities and um, way to way to kind of bring um, capitalism into that equation and see if we can help solve some of these climate problems by making people money. Right. So, f- in terms of um, nickel and cobalt themselves, have we yet got to the point where the technology allows us to be carbon neutral, or are they fairly carbon intense industries? I think they're. I mean, anytime you mine something that's carbon intense, like right, you know, like, you have a big diesel, you know, whatever caterpillar moving things. I mean that that you know, is carbon intensive cement is carbon intensive. So mm-hmm. um, I think the mining industry is making steps, you know, with electric vehicles and electric dump trucks, mm-hmm. that's just going to take time. Um, but I do think one of the things they can do. So on the one hand, you could say no longer have diesel trucks, and these electric vehicles, that's part of it. But then I think part of it is, you know, you can go into these voluntary markets and offset your footprint by, by, um, you know, reforestation and other, and other means. So like, it's not perfect. Yes. There's certainly, there's no perfect solution if you want to have a modern life and have modern mm-hmm. technology, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and do our best. No, absolutely. You know, and balance, you know, we, we know in all things in life that balance produces the best outcome, you know, even in our personal health, um, to to have a lead a balanced lifestyle is better than to be extreme in any respect. So, yeah, I would think that you know applying our minds to a balanced existence of a modern lifestyle, which requires us to do some of these things, but at least look after the the earth in, at the same time. Now, isn't is Nickel Twenty Eight's investing thesis focused on on um, uh, streaming or or active mining yourselves? Are you well, I mean, I mean, it, it, like it is a, it is a streaming and royalty company, and, and awesome. that's the way that's the way that we're set up. However, um, Ramu Nickel is in fact in production and producing today, and we own joint venture, so we are not mining it per se. Like we're not. Okay. You're not, not going to see a picture of me with a shovel or anything, but, <laughs> uh, but 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 it, but it is being mined. Okay, okay. No, that's pretty awesome. So some commentators believe the stock market is increasingly untethered from reality. And in the past, these historic crashes have have followed periods like that. Do you think we're kind of in that kind of situation again? Because if one looks over the last couple of months, um, the markets have been going in some pretty erratic directions, and certainly the miners, as in the, the the small cap, will be going in one direction and the large cap in another, and then they switch. Do you think we're headed for a similar kind of situation, or do you think it's going to sort itself out? 18 to 24 months, we've printed roughly 25% of all dollars ever created been created. Yeah. So to me, everything should kind of cost 25% more. So uh, and that's roughly if you look at what houses are up, 
and they're not talking off the bottom, off the bottom, the S&P is up 100%, but off, off the pre-crash, you know, 25%, you sort of start looking at it, and those numbers roughly align. So uh, what I think you might see in the stock markets is a manifestation of the printing of all these dollars. And mm. I'm not so sure that there's going to be a big crash because of all the money that was printed. Uh, now, there could be there be a 5% pullback. Yeah, should there be? Probably. But um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, this feels pretty different than 08 and 09. It's a pretty different situation. Yeah. Well, well, that's encouraging because, I mean, you've been involved in the market for quite some time. So for the listeners out there that aren't as active in the market, it's it's good to know that this erratic volatility we've had over the last little while hopefully is going to kind of shake itself out. It's certainly very interesting to see how different the market has behaved over the last, you know, three, four, five years. And certainly through the pandemic, it's was, uh, well, but I mean, I mean, back to your question about junior miners. I mean, I mean, everything is chasing liquidity. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, why would you own? I mean, this is, I'm just playing devil's. Like, why own a junior miner? Like, oh, it might be up twenty, but because I can own a big liquid stock and have daily liquidity and own fifty or a hundred or five hundred million dollars if I'm a big fund. So, I think I think just people are chasing liquidity. Uh, in 08 and 09, a lot of uh, hedge funds were burned by being. In liquid stocks, when there's a sell-off and a drawdown, the market structure has changed. You have Millennium and Citadels who have all these pods, and then they have like these really strict risk controls inside of there. And, and like the portfolio manager doesn't make a decision about he constructs the portfolio, but it it sells down based on the market, and so you know he gets charged against the portfolio for his capital, and and he gets charged more for liquid names. So there's this whole transformation that that has pushed um, people into more liquid asset classes in the capital markets, which I think has made, you know, it's made juniors, juniors have suffered as a result of that. I think that's part of it. And then I think too, a lot of the mining industry in the junior space is, is gold and, you know, gold lost. I mean, crypto, the crypto narrative captured, captured the youth's attention and we can debate whether crypto is this or that, or gold is this or that, but it doesn't matter when in actual fact, Kids are talking about cryptocurrency. They're not talking about gold. So there's a so bunch true. of factors there. But I think generally speaking, liquidity is the driver. Right. Yeah. Makes makes an awful lot of sense. So for your average retail investor, are there ways for them to manage the risk in the market? Or is it just actively watching portfolios well, and, and trends? I think- I think it depends on, look, if your timeline is 10 years, go buy the S&P 500 index fund, reinvest your dividend and walk away. I mean, like right. that, like that, I mean, if that's really what you're doing, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the best strategy. And I think time has proven that because you're going to work nine to five and you don't have time to re, you know, it's, it depends. Now, if you have more time to focus in on say the mining sector um, or if you have a big enough portfolio, that you can carve out some risk money, then I think these microcap stocks become a lot more interesting because these are places where you can do four or five times your money. But you know, if um, if my brother called me up or my sister, you know, she's a high school teacher and said, "Hey, you know, I have fifty thousand dollars." I'll tell you right now, I would not tell her to put fifty thousand dollars, her whole life savings, into microcaps. I think that would be foolish. Yeah. Uh, but 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 should she put five thousand dollars? Maybe you know, m- maybe if she has the time. But but. I think you got to be realistic about your timeline and the amount of money. And so I think it's a more complex kind of thought process. 
Yeah, no, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of money that can be made in in juniors if if you know how to look at the trends and and manage that portfolio. There's certainly as as we know, you can make a lot more money in juniors as and um, micro caps as long as you manage them. But you can also lose it just as fast, if not faster, than in a major. So, uh, no, that your comments make an make an awful lot of sense. So, what do you see the balance of twenty one twenty two looking like? Are there particular trends that you have your sights trained on? Yeah, I think you don't fight the Fed. I mean, I think you got to look at tapering, and you know they're talking about tapering next year. Uh, I think, I think, um, as long as we continue to see liquidity coming into the system, it's hard not to buy to buy, buy liquid assets mm-hmm. and liquid commodities. Mm-hmm. I, I just think don't fight the Fed. That's my religion, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you got, because I don't think you, you're not going to be. You might be right. Look, you might have a short thesis and you might be right about that short thesis or you might be right about your long thesis. But if you're going to fight the wall of liquidity out there, I just think that, that, um, well, what's, what's, there's like some famous saying, you know, you can be right. Oh, uh, I can't think of it, but, but the upshot of it is, um, you know, you can get carried out of any trade at this point if you're fighting the fed. Yeah, yeah, no, makes makes an awful lot of sense. They're certainly more powerful than any one one of us or, or group of us could ever dream of being. So that makes an awful lot of sense. Do you have um, any particular techniques that you use to try and grow your businesses and shareholder value? You know, I think it's, I think if if you want to outperform the market, you have to have like a, a divergent view, like. If you have the same view that everyone else has in the world, then you should literally own the S&P 500 and reinvest the dividends. But if you have this idea, you know, like I remember a few years ago um, when Marvel, you know, when the comic book company started coming out with these videos, mm-hmm. uh, this actually been more like 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, a friend was telling me about it and he was buying some of these stocks because, you know, he thought they were going to be huge. The long story short, he made a fortune doing that because he was right and, and he didn't see that coming. Now, I don't know if, if he yeah. sold out of what those stocks have done because I haven't followed. But I think if you have some idea that's different than everyone else's idea, you know, a lot of times those things would be most related to your life. You know, if you mm-hmm. see a, a store and that store all of a sudden starts popping up everywhere and all your friends are talking about it, you know, and, and maybe that's, that's a stock you should buy for instance, yeah. you know, or, 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 or the opposite would be if you think no one's ever going to buy Apple anymore because they have bets, you know, like, so I think right. you have some view of the world, which is not consensus and you have some insight and some reason to believe you're right. I mean, those are, those are the best traits where you think that you have some insight that everyone doesn't else have around your daily life. And those are the ones that are worth thinking about and, and investing in. And I, I think that's where, um, you know, I've made all my money, whether it was in nickel and cobalt, thinking about electric vehicle adoption, whether it's been in carbon, just seeing what's happening to these markets, but it's thinking about it and having a differentiated view and having that view ahead of people. Yes. Yes. Beat the curve makes so much sense because, you know, unfortunately the reality is too often once people become aware of that trend, people are jumping in in the the upper part of the hockey stick and you're guaranteed to get burned at that point. But there's a lot of money to be made if you can get in early on the curve and ride the hockey stick. 
That is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, one knows why you're so successful, because you've identified some pretty awesome things in your career. So are there particular trends that you see impacting uh, your various industries over, you know, three, five years, maybe? Yeah, I mean, everything is about this kind of green wave, you know, everything. Mm. And like you can, people are, I I laugh, I look at Twitter, I'm like, why are you wasting your time arguing about it? Like, it's happening. You're not going to stop it by your little tweets. Like, just go with it, you know, go with the momentum. And yeah. The momentum is ESG adoption. It's becoming carbon neutral. These these are the trends, whether you like them or not. Yeah. I don't opine. I mean, personally, I like them, but it doesn't matter. So nope. don't fight the tape. Don't fight the tape and think about ways to make money. I like carbon, carbon credits. I mean, these things, they could easily go up. You know, if you look at Shell and these different reports in the voluntary market, 10x from here or 20x from here, the value of these credits. Uh, so I, I think... For me, it's layering in all these businesses that I'm invested. You know, I invested in this company called Minerva. It's a climate. It's public in Canada. I don't even remember the. T- uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know the ticker off the top of my head. But Minerva, and um, you know, they they're doing climate. They have this AI that they've written around climate change, and it's you know, it's super interesting. Um, it, it's you know, it, it's potentially could change the way that that planners looking at, at, at doing certain things, you know, Absolutely. with an AI. So look, I don't, I don't know which one is going to be the winner, but I think certainly I'm interested in these technologies and ideas that are following that momentum. Absolutely. I think you've touched on yet another industry that has an awful lot of potential for us as, as mankind and, and progress is the AI and, and technology space because. Uh, but you know, but it's not, but it doesn't have to be just that. Like I invested in this other company called Deckler, the you know, the, and um, they're re-entering wells, oil wells in Nigeria that historically produced a few thousand barrels. And you know, I participated in a, in a placement, and it's like oil has had a great run. They're re-entering, and it just looks super interesting. And it's a short term, you know. So, so I think yeah. you just have to think about the world and have an idea, especially if you're going to be actively involved. If you don't have the time, though, buy buy passive investments. But if you have the time. Yes. Um, follow the flows, I think. Yeah, very. And, and, and the, the variety must keep it really interesting for you to be able to look at what's happening in all of these different areas. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so no, are there particular things on the, on the flip side then that, that uh, worry or excite you about the future? Oh, you know, I look – we all live on this rock hurtling through the universe together. And if we don't figure it out, I think, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we need to live in a more sustainable world and that's going to take some time. But I, I do feel strongly that just in general, we need to kind of, and it's very challenging globally because every country has their own ideas and people. But I do think that um, because of that, I'm quite interested in, you know, the space race and some of the stuff that's happening there. And, and I've thought a lot about like hydrogen as, as you know, like some of these other materials, because I, I'm worried about what's happened on earth and what's continuing to happen. You know, if, if our oceans re- reach a certain acidity and the food chain breaks down because the plankton die, I mean, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. And, and part of the problem is people don't live long enough. I mean, none of that's probably going to happen in my lifetime mm-hmm. or your lifetime, mm-hmm. but it, it, it certainly can happen in uh, you know, a hundred or two hundred year lifetime. I'll give you an example: the Columbia River um, in Washington, Oregon, it goes into Canada. Um, 
tributaries of the Snake into Idaho. Mm-hmm. So, so depending on who you believe, it had 16 million salmon when Lewis and Clark showed up. You know, wow. less than 200 years, less than 200 years ago. Right. You know, to, today it might have a million. Might have a million. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that. That's a very Dramatic short period. Yeah, that's and that's nothing. And 200 years in the history of the Earth is nothing. It's like. Yeah. It's not even a second. So if we can make that dramatic of a change negatively that quickly, then we really need to stop. And, and, and I would challenge anyone listening to this. It doesn't matter what your industry is. I promise you there's something in your industry that you could think about that would be interesting. that could make a difference and probably yeah. get funded, you know, like, and, yeah. and maybe, maybe help everyone. No, absolutely. And, and even all the small, the small moves, the small initiatives, everything makes a difference and builds a momentum in, in the right direction to make, leave less of a footprint and have less of an impact as we go through our lives. And for those who come after us to inherit just that fraction less of a mess, shall we call it? So. So are there particular thoughts you have to leave listeners with, perhaps stuff we haven't touched on yet? No, I think that's great. I mean, I think we kind of covered the, the main things. I, I would just say, you know, make a difference. You know, like I, I think now is a moment where literally ideas that make a difference around the environment and sustainability um, have monetary value, not just social value. They've always had social value, but they have monetary value now. And so, go, you know, if someone listens to this, I say, hey, look, go out and find find a way to make things better and make money. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. it's real now and it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Marry that, that making money as well as making a, a good impact. So that is phenomenal. So how can listeners contact you to learn more about your companies and, and the activities yeah. you're busy with? I think the, the best way is Twitter. I mean, a underscore Maluski, you know, on Twitter or just my name on uh, LinkedIn, both of those. Awesome. Awesome. Will do. And I'll pop those in the show on the show notes page so that people can, can get hold of you. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today to teach us a little more about all these exciting initiatives you're involved in. And certainly that we could learn a little more about Nickel 28 as well, which seems to be doing really well. I must admit, you've done an awesome job there. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and happy to come back anytime. Fantastic. Enjoy the rest of the day. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, the 5F strategy, bottom line growth in any economy without additional sales and marketing. And download the financial growth scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook. <laughs>